Welcome to Federal Insights, going beyond data protection, sponsored by Veritas. Here's today's moderator, Tom Temin. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guests today are Mike Malaret. He's the Director of Sales Engineering for Veritas Federal. Prem Jadwani is the Chief Technology Officer for Government Acquisitions, Inc. And Kurt Steege is the Chief Technology Officer of Thundercat Technology. Good to have you all with us. And Prem, we're going to start with you and talk about some of the cybersecurity best practices, particularly in this age of ransomware. And because so much ransomware threat comes via phishing, comes via email. It is really a matter of everyone in the organization to be aware of this. So what are what do employees need to know and how do you get them the knowledge they need to be able to be your first line of defense against those ransomware vectors? Thank you, Tom. The, it is my pleasure and I'm delighted to be on this panel. So yes, absolutely. I mean, ransomware has been one of the biggest threat uh, that has uh, plagued the industry this year in 2021. And it has started like three, four years ago. And just, I was reading some data points that in the first half of 2021, they, there was 151% increase in the threats of ransomware. And now the alarming statistic is there is a ransomware attack every 11 seconds that is happening. So it is really, I would call it, we are in a cyber pandemic with this kind of cyber threat. So to talk about best practices, I think the customers have to start with some of the basic cyber hygiene. I mean, if you look at the ransomware attacks, they are mostly originated because of phishing attacks, social engineering to the employees, uh, the employees who are not paying attention, they are opening attachments that they should not. And what happens as a result of that, there is a malware that downloads on the machine and the machine gets encrypted and now they are required to pay the ransom. So to answer the question about what are the best practices, first thing is the employees need to know that they need to be vigilant with all this uh, phishing campaigns that are out there. If you see an email that you don't recognize, if you see an attachment that doesn't make sense, don't touch it. And there is a cyber awareness training that needs to happen on a regular basis within the government agencies. Second thing is, I would say, the operating systems and applications have to be patched and most of the uh, ransomware attacks happen when there is a legacy systems in place that have not been updated, not been patched. So that's uh, another area to look at. Also, I would also recommend doing some kind of uh, principle of least privilege that needs to be enforced. So when this malware does come on the machine, uh, it cannot auto implement, it cannot auto inject itself. There has to be a user intervention. So the systems have to be properly hardened. They have to be locked down and uh, not all ransomware attacks can be prevented. I mean, there is a misnomer in the industry. There are customers who feel we have hardened all the systems. Sure. Uh, we are bulletproof, but unfortunately uh, that is not true. So you need to have a good, fantastic backup strategy. Got it. It sounds like you really need a playbook for operations. And that playbook starts with that employee training. And I imagine that has to happen regularly, not just kind of once set and forget because the social engineering techniques keep morphing and you know they're getting better and better too, aren't they? Absolutely. You know, the playbook has to be in place and playbook has to be uh, continuously updated as the threat landscape changes. All right, and the ransomware attackers, they want one of two things or maybe both. They want your data or they want your money to give you your data back. And so one way or another, it comes around to the data as the central asset that's in play here before they get to the bank. So. 
what are some of the data practices that might be overlooked or might need to be updated such that should an attack be successful and a computer become infected, that doesn't necessarily mean your data has to become hostage. Absolutely. So I would say data is the new oil, right? They are all about locking up your system so you can get to your business as usual, or if you're a government agency, your mission is impacted. So, and as a result, they put urgency on it and say, look, you want your data back, you need to pay the ransom or we are going, you got 24 hours, right? So the, the, the data practices that need to, that are overlooked are basically, again, going back to some of the cyber hygiene, right? First thing I would say is the agencies need to have a three to one backup strategy. Back, the reliable backup, protected backup, continuous backup is so important. I mean, this is the lifeline of the data is the lifeline of the agency. So what three to one backup strategy means, you need to have three copies of the data on two different media and one should be offsite. I mean, I see a lot of uh, best practices of customers who have taken an offsite backup, not just cloud backup. You need to physically have a backup in an offsite unconnected network. So if you do experience a ransomware, you are not at the mercy of having to pay the ransom, but you can quickly go to your clean backup and these have been tested before and you can get your data back. So that is really top of the mind that can be a huge advantage to the customers who have uh, been impacted with ransomware and they don't have to pay that kind of crazy money that is in millions of dollars. And also I would say patch the operating systems on time, make sure you know where your data is, identify inventory or assets and know your RTO, RPO, recovery time objective, recovery point objective. I mean, again, this, I would call it as basic cyber hygiene that we learned in 101. It is not something complex. And there are customers who are getting some of those best data practices in place and they get impacted with ransomware, but they don't have to pay that ransom and they still are okay. So sure. that's my recommendation. And very quickly then your RTO and RPO can vary depending on the criticality of the data so that you don't have to have the most expensive options for all of the data, but kind of have a priority in place system. Absolutely. RTO, RPO is the first thing you start with because every customer's mission is different. And how much time do you have to recover before you can get, before your mission gets impacted? How much volume of data would you be able to afford to lose? And that drives all your backup strategy. So, and that drives all your uh, defense in depth strategy. It, de it defines your um, uh, recovery strategy. I mean, everything starts with RTO, RPO, and that is the, the uh, turning point from which you can have a very effective leverage. Uh, when you do get impacted ransomware, you have right controls in place. All right, some good advice from Prem Jadwani, the Chief Technology Officer for Government Acquisitions, Inc. My other guests today are Mike Malaret. He's the Director of Sales Engineering at Veritas Federal. Next, we'll hear from Kurt Steege, the Chief Technology Officer of Thundercat Technology. I'm Tom Temin here on Federal Insights, going beyond data protection, sponsored by Veritas here on Federal News Network. Whether you're migrating to the cloud, from the cloud, or between clouds, protecting your data and ensuring business continuity are critical priorities. Veritas can help you build a unified multi-cloud strategy with resiliency at its core to help ensure strategic and mission-critical decisions. Our enterprise data services platform is designed to give government agencies the confidence and control to transform, protect, and optimize your multi-cloud. 
Visit veritas.com forward slash government for more information. Welcome back to Federal Insights, going beyond data protection, sponsored by Veritas here on Federal News Network. My guests today are Mike Malaret, the Director of Sales Engineering at Veritas Federal. We heard from Prem Jadwani, the Chief Technology Officer for Government Acquisitions. And now we're going to hear from Kurt Steege, the Chief Technology Officer of Thundercat Technology. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And Kurt, good to have you on. Let's talk about the importance of visibility into data assets. This is something that agencies often struggle with. They know they've got a lot out there, but they don't necessarily have a good means of inventorying and then seeing what they've got. So talk about the importance of that as you protect against the dangers of ransomware and other cyber threats. Sure. Thanks. Thanks, Tom. Great, great, great to be on. Um, I actually want to throw something back real quick to what uh, Prem said earlier about like data is the new oil. Um, I, I think that's a really important thing to look at right there. And, and you know, um, as, as we look across uh, the different areas that are, that are working within the federal government right now, I would actually say that information, its safety and its sharing is a key product of the government. It's probably the most important thing that the government puts out there across the board. You know, it's the very fabric of what everybody does on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, you know, from, you know, where it's being collected in the field to being analyzed and being and utilized across everything. And, and, and visibility is, is extremely important there because, you know, you don't, you, you don't know what you don't know in a lot of cases, right? And, you know, I, I think one of the things that I, I remembered from a couple of, uh, a couple of months ago uh, discussing this subject with Veritas specifically is they had deployed their data insight product at a large federal agency to help them understand stored data. And the findings that were, were very interesting there, like 58% of their data was dark, uh, meaning it hadn't been used in three years or looked at, or had no owner in Active Directory. 31% um, of their data was redundant, obsolete, and trivial. It hadn't been accessed between one and three years. And then only 11% of their data was the active information that was being used uh, on a consistent basis to run the agency itself. Um, so before starting down the road of protecting the data and, and, and looking at that and trying to analyze it, you really need to know what you have. Um, data visibility is really the first step here, and it's where many of the agencies go wrong. Um, you know, agency, agency leaders, you know, um, ask agency leaders what data is the most important and then dig really dig, dig into it and say, you know, ask, ask about classification, storage, protection, all those kind of things. And if the leaders don't have the answers where everything is and, and folks don't know where it is, um, all the more reason for a full data management strategy to start to build on that, you know, because, you know, finding what's there, because in a lot of cases, you know, there, there's, there's stuff that you don't even realize is there. It's almost like you're making the case to bring back optical and tape storage systems for some of that data that may never get looked at again. But sure, why not? I mean, between that or, or you know, I mean, that's that's also the idea of what a lot of folks are doing. And, and to continue on that, a lot of folks do that within, uh, you know, that's the data that in many cases folks want to move to, um, you know, cheap and deep storage. If it, it could be tape, it could be, you know, places like Iron Mountain. It could be, it could be, uh, you know, places, uh, you know, that, that's a good place for utilization for cloud strategy as well. All right. But sometimes you do have to back up data, either the 11% or the other 89%. And so how do you speed up and orchestrate data recovery? Lots of agencies are talking about robotic process automation, mm -hmm. I guess, kind of maybe taking uh, orchestration to the next step, or maybe it's they're interchangeable. But what are the best practices now for doing this not manually? Yeah, I mean, um, uh, what's what's interesting, you know, to go back to the study that I just mentioned a little while ago, once that was done and they took that intelligence received from there, um, it was able to kind of use that in conjunction with a lot of different processes, scan the data, 
and then through policy, move it from things like primary storage, as we discussed, to uh, cheaper storage areas seamlessly with no impact on the end users. You can always go back and get that information um, and then, you know, pull it back into the utilization side. But what happens is, you know, they take that in, in this example, a lot of that dark data got moved to uh, Amazon Glacier. Sensitive data was moved to long-term storage device, automated retention policy, all those kind of things, and locked away, sort of worm storage type things as well. I mean, then the most important data, they said, okay, well, this is the data we need to run our business every single day, uh, business, agency, mission, everything. Um, move it to high-speed primary storage. Um, much lower storage, uh, uh, you know, primary storage footprint on the stuff that costs a lot of money, um, you know, and then, and then kind of take that out of the daily backup kind of stuff, sure. move it to stuff that's out there. Um, you know, once you have a good handle on where your data is, you know, what paths it's traversing and the relative value of that data based on, you know, what we talked about data visibility before, um, you go into the next phase of things like creating a data management framework, breaking down silos, breaking down silos, not only for the data itself, and, and kind of centralizing where you have that, but then the methodologies and tools that you use for recovery. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with different agencies that, that kind of have, they have multiple different ways of how they're backing things up uh, and, and, and taking that information. Um, you know, it just leads only to wait, not only wasting of capital, but wasting sure. of time as well to get it back when there is a problem. Cause you know, Hey, there's going to be times when you're going to need to pull that information back. All right. Um, and if you don't have a good way to do that and a quick way to do that, it's, uh, you know, it's going to get stuff. you in trouble. Sure. Yep, and, yep. And, and, and briefly, if you would also talk about encryption and what are some of the best practices of where encryption comes into play in the ransomware, it's only part of the protection you need, but it's sure. something you need it. Yeah. Well, I mean, first, first and foremost, like everybody who works in, in, the, in the federal government should be, you know, kind of utilizing the, uh, the, the NIST recommendation for key management there in terms of that. Um, it's uh, SP 500, um, and you can go through that. It has all the, all the requirements that are, all the information that's there. Um, and we talk things, you know, when you talk about encryption, you're talking about encrypting data at rest, um, encrypting data in flight. And going through those things, but I would say probably if you're going to, you know, all this is requires encryption keys. Probably the one area, if I was going to, you know, pick one thing in order for folks to really concentrate on, is centralized key management. Um, you know, as you encrypt more and more data, uh, it becomes increasingly more, uh, um, excuse me, increasingly more difficult to manage the keys. And most folks are using manual processes. It could be spreadsheets. It could be this. It could be that. But really, getting to a centralized key management system. Um, you know, secure, efficient key generation, storage, distribution, policies associated with that, mm -hmm. so that you can then move those things around. And the one area that um, you know that that this really helps in is um, is is the next phase. So folks are talking about encrypting data at rest and encrypting data in flight. Uh, but what's what's actually happening right now is uh, runtime environments. So it's great when you're moving it. It's great when it's sitting there. But when you're actually running the application. Uh, you know, to, to actually be able to kind of encrypt the information while it's there and run it and run it in secure enclaves and, you know, dealing with key management solutions like, uh, you know, like, sure. like Fortanix is an example there as well. Um, and going through those processes to make sure those things are being able to be um, secured uh, in conjunction with the, the, the different areas in, in, the, in the hardware platforms as well.
Great advice from Kurt Steege, the Chief Technology Officer of Thundercat Technology. We also heard from Prem Jadwani, the Chief Technology Officer for Government Acquisitions, Inc. Next, we're going to hear from Mike Malaret, the Director of Sales Engineering for Veritas Federal. I'm Tom Temin. This is Federal Insights Going Beyond Data Protection, sponsored by Veritas here on Federal News Network. Whether you're migrating to the cloud, from the cloud, or between clouds, protecting your data and ensuring business continuity are critical priorities. Veritas can help you build a unified multi-cloud strategy with resiliency at its core to help ensure strategic and mission-critical decisions. Our enterprise data services platform is designed to give government agencies the confidence and control to transform, protect, and optimize your multi-cloud. Visit veritas.com forward slash government for more information. Welcome back to Federal Insights, going beyond data protection, sponsored by Veritas here on Federal News Network. We heard from Prem Jadwani, the Chief Technology Officer for Government Acquisitions, and from Kurt Steege, the Chief Technology Officer of Thundercat Technology. Now we are going to hear from Mike Malaret, the Director of Sales Engineering for Veritas Federal. I'm Tom Temin. Mike, good to have you with us. And let's just talk about this. Let's talk about the size and scope of the ransomware threat. What does it look like writ large as we are, you know, basically early 2022 at this point? I think it's interesting because Prem actually touched a little bit on this topic earlier that there's a ransomware attack every 11 seconds and the estimated cost is expected to reach over $20 billion in damages for 2021. In addition to that, you know, we see that the Poneman Institute's uh, report on uh, data breach in 2021 says that the average cost is now up to $4.24 million per incident, which is, is pretty striking and, um, most companies may not be able to be planning for that or necessarily have the means to be able to address that. You know? And then um, I had the opportunity um, a few weeks back to actually interview Matthew Riddle, the deputy CIO for cybersecurity and operations at the CIA. And um, even then, Matthew Riddle, one of the comments that he made is he was uh, very aware that they are not even immune to cyber attacks. So I think everybody is at risk. Um, and everybody is at risk of ransomware, one of the cyber attacks. All right, so the next question then is the idea of resiliency because organizations can't keep handing out $4 million bills or $20 million bills. So how do you make your organization, again, from a data standpoint and a data protection standpoint, resilient to this so that you're not harmed by it? Yeah, I think that that's uh, something that's interesting because everybody always refers to backups as being one of the key key categories of being able to actually recover from a ransomware incident, but there's a little bit more to it than just that, right? So we've started looking at data protection and recovery and resiliency as a key strategy to be able to actually uh, come back. The Colonial Pipeline incident let us uh, realize that if you cannot recover in a sufficient time, you're still at risk and you may wind up having to pay a ransom anywhere in order to be able to get your data unlocked. So it's really critical that people put together a resiliency solution that allows them to actually rehearse the recovery, how they can look to ways to minimize the cost of that resiliency. And we'll talk about that in the effective backup strategies too as well. Yeah, okay, so it's a multi-pronged approach though. You can't just start with backup and assume you can rely totally on that. You really have to do some groundwork leading to your backup strategy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it would go from having an identification of what needs to be recovered first and having a full detailed set of plans uh, that is outlined and then have recovery rehearsals for all of those things that are mission critical. You know, And then how do you actually do that 
in another infrastructure because it's one thing to actually be able to stand up a solution or recover a solution. But if you have to also format everything out, it could take a very long time to erase all of the encrypted data that would exist within an environment and even get to the point that you're ready. So um, being able to have a more comprehensive plan of how to be able to create a just-in-time infrastructure is very critical to your success from a recovery standpoint. And what does an effective backup system then in this scenario look like today? Yeah, so we look at it from three three different areas. Protect, detect, and recover is, is one of the, the slogans that Veritas actually has. So the data protection is very critical. Um, the detection of anomaly is very critical in your environment. And then your ability to recover at scale or recover into an alternate location very quickly and rapidly, right? Um, again, it goes back to that idea that you have to have those detailed plans on recovery. We actually employ um, machine learning and artificial intelligence for our anomaly detection. We detect um, for anomalies during the backup ingest process when the backup images are arrest, and we also do it when we're actually restoring. So if something new comes along that we weren't able to detect early on and you can detect now, you'd be able to detect it in the recovery process, which is pretty critical to be able to do. One of the things we're doing from a resiliency standpoint is, is we've incorporated our um, resiliency platform directly into the net backup software, which allows us to be able to actually plan um, and provide continuous data protection to a, a company where you could actually store one of your images, the best practices I think were stated earlier about having at least three backup copies, one of your backup image copies could actually be cloud-based. And when it's cloud-based, if you have a cloud recovery server running up there, you actually have the ability to do immediate recovery into the cloud on brand new infrastructure. Um, and as long as you're able to make sure you're not bringing the malware back in, you know, you have a much better opportunity to be able to recover. And then you're also not paying for that entire infrastructure upfront. So it's only when you need it. You know, and then immutability becomes very, very important in the architecture, right? How do you actually create immutable backup images and then be able to append those images over time? And that's something that we've actually spent a lot of investments in being able to do, whether it's immutable in the cloud storage, taking advantage of, you know, immutable cloud storage or immutable uh, uh, storage that we actually put together in our system. And then <clears throat> your um, the platform that you're running your uh, data protection and recovery solutions on really has to actually be hardened, but more than just hardened. You know, um, one thing that you know we've done is we've actually taken uh, SE Linux and made that the core operating system. SE Linux, everything is off by default. It is a true zero trust operating system environment. So we only open up what is absolutely 100% necessary in order to be able to communicate. In addition to that, we've taken the net backup product and we've actually put it into containers. Containers allow us to actually segment off the individual workload. And really we have only one persistent container and that is the actual data storage. And that data storage by default, SE Linux, can only be talked to by one of the other containers. So something can't come in and then just all of a sudden start writing to that. And then we have the best practices for containers to be able to do certificates and authentications where the containers, even though we know this container should be able to, it still has to be able to properly authenticate. And you know, it's a, definitely a much more sophisticated ability to be able to ensure that your backup images will be there. And then um, the final piece is how do you actually provide for instant recovery too as well? How can you bring up multiple machines on your backup infrastructure in order to be able to get mission critical applications up and running in seconds?
All right. So you've given us a very comprehensive strategy backed up by some real technological pieces, and that's excellent. Mike Malaret is Director of Sales Engineering for Veritas Federal. Earlier, we heard from Prem Jadwani, the Chief Technology Officer for Government Acquisitions, Inc., and from Kurt Steege, the Chief Technology Officer of Thundercat Technology. I'm Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search Veritas. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights, Going Beyond Data Protection, sponsored by Veritas on Federal News Network.